Welcome back to the 12-Sided Guys. We have Matt as Pine. Hi. Scott as Roos. That's me. Jordan as Ebby. Salutations. Ooh, I got chills. Sabrina as Nari. Hey there. And me, Paul, as the actual 12-sided guy. Here, let me list off my sides for you. <laughs> they are my right side, left side, top side, mm-hmm. bottom side, Ooh. inside, back side, wink, Ooh. dark side, you know, <laughs> the guy who killed Superman, side salad, outside, other side, front side 360 heel flip into nose bone, and <laughs> sensitive side. <Aww. laughs> If you want more 12-sided guys, then go become a member of our Discord server. We, the players, are often on there, and it's a great way to connect with other fans, share fan art, theories, and other stuff that this not-tech-savvy middle-aged guy can't think of right now. There's also the Patreon for bonus content, including episodes, wikis, maps, and character sheets. And of course, leaving a rating and a five-star review and telling your family and friends helps us out a ton as well. (laughs) Is Discord for pornography? (laughs) (laughs) What? It's not. It's not only fans. Jesus. No, that was that was a joke. I was quoting everybody was, loves everybody Raymond. Everybody loves Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> What's a DVD player? Is it for pornography? <laughs> oh, anyway, well, we're grateful for all the positive feedback we've already gotten, and we look forward to more and more adventures going forward. Anyway, if you were surprised to find headless monsters living under the castle of King Britain for some reason, then this podcast is for you. It's the Crystal Codex, episode sixty-three. One thing I actually did learn from Everybody Loves Raymond is the circle around where you're allowed to live around your in-laws. Within one hour, it's too close. And then within four hours, it's too far away because then they're there for like an unspecified amount of time and staying with you. And I stand by that. (laughs) When they're too far away, when they're too far outside the circle, then when they come, they stay at your house. Yeah, that's the circle. One hour's too close, and three hours is too far away because then they stay there. So you have to get them between one and, like, four (laughs) hours. It's literally what the circle is. (laughs) All right, here we are in the city of Tabri, the kingdom of Tabri. We had quite the adventure last time. We had um, a father and a daughter reconnecting after many, many years, realizing that they have a lot in common, and yet they still kind of stand on opposite ends of this conflict. Um, we had uh, Nari, Roos, and Ebby go to the constabulary and discover that there was a dead constable. Actually, there were two dead constables, but you didn't explore the whole basement. Anyway, and that the two bailiffs that were being held in the oubliette are no longer there. And that whoever came and got them out or they went into one of the cells down there and they are now gone. And nobody knows where they are. Um, as our heroes went back to the castle and conferred with Kira as well as Angus, trying to figure out what to do, I think there was kind of a uh, a resolution to use the sword that the adjudicators and the bailiffs are after as bait to have them come to get the sword and then maybe ambush them and um, put an end to their uh, their reign of terror here in Tabri, as they have now taken 
multiple lives, two constables and one civilian that we know about. And that is where we find ourselves after this. Oh, wait, no, that's not where we find ourselves because then uh, the boys all went to sleep uh, for the night there in the castle while Nari went to the stone horseman to hang out and uh, make sure that no sort of underhanded dealings were happening between the bailiffs and this ambassador from Arkelvy, this ambassador Miro. And that is kind of where we are in the middle of the night. We have Nari sitting outside of the stone horseman inn while the boys sleep away. Nari, you are sitting out um, at night. Uh, there is really nobody moving around in the city at this point. It is uh, uh, probably midnight or later as you sit. Um, are you in the Stone Horseman or are you kind of out in front of the Stone Horseman? Depending on how busy it is. If, it, if it's a pretty busy bar, I think I would just be sitting at the bar, kind of sipping on a drink, just observing. Okay. But if it's more of like an inn where everybody's kind of sleeping, then I think I would just try to hang out outside being casual. I would say that it started out as kind of a um, busier inn. This is the nicer inn in town. And so um, it's also the largest inn in town. The kegery is also a... I bet there's fewer bloodstains on the ground too. Ew. There are definitely fewer bloodstains on the ground. <laughs> Splatters on the walls. Yes. But uh, there's definitely fewer bloodstains on the on the floors. But um, this inn also, I mean, it's always technically open. You can come and harass the innkeep to get a room. Um, however, it's not always lively like the kegery is. So I would imagine that, um, Nari, for a while, you were there in the common room, just kind of hanging out and drinking uh, or, you know, sipping a drink for a little while. Um, you see people come and go. The people who come here to this to this inn tend to be nicer dressed, definitely more upper crust. The um, the barman uh, behind the, the bar is uh, short and stout. He's got um, a beard, a bald head. Um, he dresses very nicely. Does he have a handle and a spout? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, short and stout sounds really familiar. But anyway, <laughs> yes, I mean, there is no handle, um, but he does pour out drinks. Only when he gets all steamed up. Classic. <laughs> He's a fiery one. <laughs> you can see that there are some uh, some uh, like uh, servers who are moving around the room. You can see that over in one corner in kind of the uh, the southwestern corner of the of the common room, there is a stage and there is a, a woman up there who is reading poetry to the very small crowd that is in here at this point. Um, and then after a while, people start to trail off. Nari, at one point, as you are sitting there, though, kind of around, I don't know, 10 o'clock or so, uh, you see... Um, and Ambassador Miro actually come down into the common room. And you can see that he's accompanied by a few um, a few people who are with him. They are armed and armored, um, but they look casual. They look uh, relaxed. They do not dress the same way that the bailiffs do. Anyway, Miro goes up to the barman and he has a little conversation with him, uh, just short. And then they turn around and they go back into the hallway, back where you assume are where the rooms are here at this inn. And that is kind of uh, what you notice until it gets to be about 11 or, you know, just about midnight when pretty much the, the common room empties out and um, the, the barman comes over to you and he says, you can stay here in the common room if you want, but I, I'll need a couple coppers. Uh, Nari will slide him over a silver piece and say, I was just curious. Those men, it seemed like they, they were interested in, in chatting with you. Did they have anything specific to say? Oh, they're, they're meal orders for the morning. 
You talk about the ambassador. That's what you're talking about. Yes, the ambassador uh, from Arkleby. Yeah, no, I, I know, I know who he is. He's the ambassador from Arkleby. He, he lets everyone know that he is the ambassador from Arkleby. I bet he does. He uh, he seems like he thinks very highly of himself. Yes, yes, he does. But he pays well. And then I think as we're chatting, I will add over a gold piece. And he looks down at it and he looks at you in the eyes and he says, now, what's that for? And you can see like a little smile on his, on his face. Like, what's, what's this about? The Crown of Tabery appreciates those who are interested in helping. And I'm, I'm not fully sure we trust this, this gentleman from Arkelvy. Is there any information you might have about what, what they're looking for? Well, what he said to me is that he's here to speak with the queen on behalf of King Tenor. But the rumors I hear are that the kingdom of Arkovi just got a little bit bigger. Oh, really? How so? This is all not necessarily public knowledge yet, but one of the ambassador's guards let it slip that very soon Terran's protectorate which you know is the old Arkelvy province. Now it's the Kingdom of Tabri to the west. Then you have Imperial Wayfield. Um, and then you have Terran's Protectorate as you move further east. And then you have the Kingdom of Arkelvy. And so Terran's Protectorate is like the town of Crossroads and then Terran's Hill and kind of those uh, environs. And uh, so he says, rumor has it that Terran's Protectorate soon will be the Duchy of Terran and they're going to join with the Kingdom of Arkelvy under King Tenor's banner. Interesting. Paul, remind me, was that the one that was led by the who, the, who was going to be the new Magister of Tabory? Or is that... No, no. So that's Wayfield. And Wayfield is still called Imperial Wayfield. Gotcha. And um, what you guys have heard is that her name is Vanette. That she basically runs that city as if it's still an Imperial province, just waiting for Imperial oversight to tell her to do something different than she's been doing. So yeah, Terran's protectorate won't would be no more. That's very interesting. I'm a bit worried about them spreading out their influence. I think that Tabory is a, a strong and protected city, but I would I would hate to have anyone corrupt it from within. Oh well this wasn't from within. From what I heard, from what I heard, Terran's protectorate actually they wanted to ally with Arkelvy. Yeah, their their high marshal was I guess, killed, and things were getting out of hand there in the city, and they're joining with Arkelvy to band together to fight against the, these cults, these secret groups that are going around and causing so much mayhem. Hmm, that does sound suspicious. Um, well, I appreciate the information, uh, and Nari will kind of, like, slide him just another gold piece just for safekeeping. I would uh, prefer, obviously, if you didn't tell them I was here. He winks at you. I think I will actually walk outside and try to keep an eye on the building in general, just in case they slip out a back door or something. Okay, you um, hold up then outside of the outside of the of the inn, um, and um, there is like this big statue out in front of the of the inn that is actually of a man riding a horse. That's where the name of the inn comes from. The, the statue is actually older than the inn, and nobody really knows, like what the statue even who it represents or anything it's kind of old and worn down with time you can't even really make out features or anything it might not even be a man it might be a woman they just always call it the stone horse man 
Um, yeah, you kind of hang out there by the uh, statue um, all night. I just need you to make a perception check. I rolled an 11. All right. You hang out there for the rest of the night. It gets really dark. It starts to get a little bit chilly. Um, you keep your eye on the front of the stone horseman. You see lights turn on and off, you know, throughout the night. Most of the, most of the windows will, will stay dark. But every once in a while, you'll see like a light shine in a window on the second floor, on the third floor, and, uh, and then go out again. Uh, but then that's about it until the sun starts to come up. Arkelvian, their false flag operations. I'm so sus. Angriest fist ever. Ooh. I kind of want to start a counter rumor campaign and just start spreading the truth as rumors. That could work. All right. Well, the sun starts to come up as the boys all wake up in their room there at the castle and they have gotten a full long rest. Oh, thank goodness. Man, level nine is going to be great. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll let you know when you can do that. Party pooper. <laughs> um, Nari, I imagine, are you going to go back to the castle when it starts to get to be morning? Yeah, absolutely. Nari, you come into the castle just as the boys are sitting down for a meal. Pine is not sitting. Pine is standing anxiously as he eats his food. Hot damn, I'm starving. And Nari will go straight for the bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, you guys are actually eating in kind of the, the fancy dining hall. So you guys have spent most of your time here in the keep in the tall, like the, not in the tall tower, in the tower keep. But the grand hall or the great hall of the castle is um, is bigger. And there's actually this very nice, well-appointed dining room right off of the of the of the great hall that um, you guys are having breakfast in. And it is it's quite good. There's bacon, sausage. There's some eggs. There's some potato like hash brown type things. Just a really good kind of um, continental breakfast. I do love a good English muffin. <laughs> In Menarest, we call those strumpet. No, crumpets, not strumpets. <laughs> crumpets. There's even this weird contraption that you like can pour batter in and then you turn it over and then you, you get a waffle. Sorry, <laughs> I, I couldn't think of any way to keep describing it. To not say, there's waffle makers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought Beatrice was the waffle maker. Uh, was it Cochran the cook? And he's the guy who's making all your breakfast. Beatrice is the butler. Damn, Kira, you didn't tell me we had such cool sh this time. <laughs> so, you guys are there eating your meal. Kira comes in to sit down and, at the meal as well. And uh, Angus is there um, looking. He looks nervous and scared. Kira looks anxious um, but determined. And Kira asks, so are we ready to start making our move? I am. Yes, let's do this. I will send um, runners. I'll send um, uh, criers out to go and, and uh, cry to the people of the city to try to let them know that we're ready to make a deal. Okay. But I will wait until you're ready. Oh, I forgot. Brinby and Hebo and Briak are in there as well eating breakfast. I just don't love that idea of like going out and like screaming the fact that we're gonna give in to these people. Even even if we're not, that that doesn't seem like good optics. Kira, what would be the deal? Cause um I I'm hesitant to say, hey, come on over, we'll give you the sword, and then as soon as they arrive, we attempt to to, to kill them. Um I think it'd be better if the language was more, we are ready to negotiate. We have grievances to air, 
and let them know where to meet us. And that way, when they do arrive, we can say, here are your options. A, give up and be put in prison on trial, potentially facing the death penalty. Or we fight here. Does that sound good? Or to be more fair, maybe we could find find something a little bit more compromising. But, but yes. She thinks about it for a second. She says, I guess my time in fallen heaven, um, subterfuge and lying were not, were not unheard of in that line of work. But now as a, as a monarch and as a, uh, a leader of a people, I can see that sometimes honor is needed and to lure them here and to say that we will give them the sword and then to just literally stab them in the back, that might be bad optics. But, but I believe it will be safer and our victory will be more assured. I think honestly, whatever we say, they're going to come expecting trouble. I agree. Well, let's be fair. They are trouble. Oh, yes, yes. But they're they're going to come expecting trouble on our part. From an optics standpoint, if we were to call them forth and then challenge them to combat, those two versus us. But then we lose whatever element of surprise we might have if we were to strike from the shadows first. Strictly from a legal point of view, there is no dishonor in a, well, a honeypot. In a sting operation. And that's kind of what we're, we're suggesting. I just think that were that to happen, remember rule of law, don't strike to kill if we can avoid it, so that they may stand trial. And they may actually, they may, they may have the queen's justice. Yes, and what creature on this world is more honorable than the noble honeybee who often engages in sting operations? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and just like a honeybee, sometimes sting operations are the last thing that they will do. That's bumblebees, dude. That's not honeybees, my friend. I am not an entomologist. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to be more specific, an apiarist? We should let them know that the sword is here, and if they want to come have a discussion for it, we're open for discussion. We don't have to say that we're going to give them the sword, nor do we have to say anything else. I think that I think that that's clearly what they're after. I think the goal should be, again, apprehending them more so than fighting to kill. If we can, take them alive. Well, I will send runners to have them start crying through the city, saying that we are ready to discuss next steps. Why don't you all finish your breakfast and go prepare yourselves? And then she calls over Beatrice and she explains to Beatrice what she wants done and Beatrice leaves as Briok and Brinby and Hebo are all there uh, as well. So, uh, Lieutenant General, what do you want us to do? All of us here are in an official capacity under the Queen Kira, and so I think that if we are simply the military force here to ensure the negotiation happens, I think that's fine. Stay with us if you, if it'd be better if you stayed hidden to spring a trap on them. Tiny, you're very large. I don't know that you have many options for hiding and springing out. 
but Hebo does. Yeah, Hebo kind of smiles at that. But Brimby says, if they come in force and we rely on our soldiers and our constables to take on their bailiffs, then they will need someone with them to help lead them and bolster them. I I will stay with them. I will I will lead the guard. That sounds like a wise idea. I always said that this tiny he was a real wise guy. <laughs> <laughs> You guys both share a laugh. Ha ha ha. It, ah, forget, forget about it. it it's actually funnier <laughs> in Menories. You had to be there. You had to be there. <laughs> you guys now have a chance to prepare whatever you guys want to do um, out in the courtyard of the castle. All right, Paul, can you remind us what the courtyard looks like so we can maybe set up like um, I like if Roos, if you wanted to be sneaking, hiding somewhere, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, the courtyard um, of the castle. It looks like as you um, as you come into the castle courtyard through the gatehouse, um, basically along the northern section of this castle complex, you have um, you have a bell tower um, furthest to the east, and then you have the like great hall, and then you have like the the tower keep, which is where Kira has been living, which is where you spent most of your time. And then on the southern wall, you have like the barracks and the arsenal. You also have like a chapel down there. And then there's also what they call the tall tower, which is on the kind of the western wall. And that is just a very tall, very slender tower. It's more of a lookout tower, like to look um, north and to make sure that nothing's approaching the city from the north. Um, But otherwise, it's just a large open courtyard. It looks like there are some like, uh, uh, there's a well in the middle of it. And there is like training dummies and stuff along the side of the arsenal, but otherwise, just a large open um, cobblestoned courtyard. Do you guys think that I should take the sword, or should we leave it inside? I think it best you have it there. It shows intent to negotiate. That there's the it will help set the trap. I guess they will they will be drawn to it, and seeing it there may make them uh, more prone to make mistakes. It'll make you a target. Nari will sling the sword across her back and kind of like heft it up a little bit so it's obvious. Ebby, Roos, you seem to be able to change your appearance. Do you? Could you make yourselves look like those training dummies and kind of hide among them inconspicuously? I don't know that I can make myself look like a training dummy, but that could be a bit trickier. I'm just trying to think of how we can spring something to have an advantage on them. You guys could always pull jerkins over your heads and like stuff some straw in there and wear like a bucket on your head and just try to look like a scarecrow tape, basically. Could I try to use the disguise self to look like one of the bailiffs that we had fought and killed earlier? Yeah, that's not a problem. Yeah. Uh, which one? Like a tattooed one? Like the one who kept hexing you? Uh, Yeah, maybe. You can do that. Yeah. And make yourself look gagged, too, so that they can't ask you questions. Poof. Magically, there's a gag in my mouth. <laughs> Whoa! Is it one of Roos's old ball gags? <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> I saw it in his pack one of these days. I was so curious what it was for. I've been looking for that for five years. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, you can't have it back. <laughs> yeah, then you remember you haven't washed it. It was in, last time it was in uh, Ramsey's mouth. <laughs> So we have you as a prisoner, Abby, okay. Um, shall we just set up here near the uh, near the well here in the center? Yes. 
Nari, you have the sword, so you'll be here as well. Roos, do you want to sneak around? I could also, I mean, I might try to sneak as well, but... Here, I can give you a hand with your sneaking, but it'll also, that would leave Nari all by herself. A quick question for everyone. Would we rather have me bring in two dire wolves or eight normal wolves? <laughs> I think Phobos and Deimos, I mean, they're part of us at this point, right? Fair enough. <laughs> They've got to be hungry. It's a new day. Eight normal wolves, though, is pretty huge. It, de- it definitely provides more targets for, that aren't us. <laughs> they, they all would have pack tactics. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't know if they're as good boys, though, you know? You're right. Like, if we're talking about goodness of boys. <laughs> when it's down to the goodness of the boys, it's clearly Phobos and Demos. <laughs> is there a place here, Paul, that's almost like, like, like are, there, are there stables or some kind of place that, like, crumbles could hang out and not, like, not look like an immediate threat? Oh, yeah, for sure. Actually, just on the other side of the of the barracks. Yeah, for sure. So that's where Crumbles is going to be set up. And as soon as it's time, Crumbles will come rushing in. Okay. Sounds good. Where should we stand? More by the well? Yeah, let's do that. Nari's going to kind of stand in front with the sword, like obviously hanging out around her back. Kira and Beatrice have come out of the Great Hall and they are standing kind of on the steps moving up to the Great Hall. Um, Kira is dressed very nicely. Actually, you've never seen her... Well, you guys, you guys have seen her at state things, but normally she dresses just kind of a normal casual clothing, kind of like you would expect anybody in town to wear. But she is wearing like a very nice um, kind of a, a tailored suit and pants. And um, it's very well made. You can see she's got a sword at her hip. Okay, Hillary Clinton. Jesus Christ, I was going to whistle, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot to mention, she has the classic Hillary Clinton haircut. No, not that kind of a suit, like a like a doublet and like um, traditionally more male clothing. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, not that it matters, but um, she's not wearing like a big elegant gown or anything, but she's wearing very nice clothing, very um, well-made. She even has a, a circlet on her head. It is a very simple golden band. Um, basically no real adornments except for one large red ruby right in the middle. Um, and that is it as they stand there. And as you, um, can hear somebody approaching, uh, you see coming through the gatehouse, you see one of these town criers comes running in saying they're on their way. There's, there's a lot of them. And, uh, he kind of, uh, moves off into the castle and he goes and confers with Beatrice and Kira as you glance out through the gatehouse and you see 12 bailiffs and adjudicator Kippen and adjudicator Trippen marching towards the castle. Boo! No, Jamal, you be Trippen. Nari is going to glare at Roos and say, 13, eh. (laughs) (laughs) Random question for you, Paul. What's the weather like today? Well, let's make a roll, okay? Let's make a roll. We're in springtime, so rain is not uncommon. Um, it looks like I rolled a 14, so it's actually, it's just kind of partly partly cloudy. So not rainy, and um, the sun keeps peeking through, and not necessarily a cold day. Yeah, and you guys are here in the castle complex, so it's not windy, because the, the walls of the castle have blocked all the wind. Got it. Okay. You see Kippen and Trippen with um, all of these bailiffs behind them. And as... I mentioned in an earlier episode and an earlier episode than that, you guys did get a head count. I don't know if anyone has gone back and listened, but 
Angus had counted 20 to 25 different bailiffs. I don't know if you guys remember that or not, but now it looks like there's about 13 of these bailiffs left in Tabory, not including the adjudicators. And Kippen and Trippin walk into the courtyard. They are about, I don't know, 30 feet from you. And then uh, Kippen steps forward with Trippin just about five feet behind her. And Kippen says, we have come to negotiate the acquisition of that sword. What are your terms? No talk, only death. <laughs> <laughs> Let's probably not do that. Just saying. Oh, perfect. Nari will kind of take a, another step forward just with the sword obviously exposed and say, your men have committed crimes against the kingdom of Tabory. For that, we must have resolution before you're able to get this sword. Okay. Kippen says, my men were being imprisoned falsely, and now they are out. I would say the few lives that have been lost in rescuing our bailiffs from an unjust imprisonment is more than a fair trade for the number of bailiffs killed at your kegery. Wait, explain again how the imprisonment was unjust. Oh, no, I forgot. You don't seem to care about sovereign nations' laws. Unlawful seizure of property, unlawful imprisonment. We could list their misdeeds for which they were rightly judged. They resisted. We tried to arrest them. We gave them every opportunity to leave, to release Angus. We had conversations with their leader, Fern, before any action took place. Their authority came by way of me, and my authority comes from on high. I do not answer to kings or queens or governors or magistrates. They were acting under my authority, and my authority comes from the divine. This authority, you can shove it straight up your ass. Ooh, I love it. You do not have authority here. No authority from on high has given you any power over this sovereign nation. Oh, get riggedy riggedy wrecked. <laughs> yes, but also, are you saying that you are the highest of the adjudicators? Is there no one higher than you? Not anymore. No. Trippin and I are the high adjudicators. Oh. Yeah, let's uh let's get rid of these guys then. That seems that seems pretty solid. When did high adjudicator become a thing? She says, a lot has changed since Pavantus shattered. And with that change came new responsibilities, new callings, and a realization that the emperor did not give us our authority. No, the, the authority to judge came from the divine. It came from our ability to make good and righteous and just decisions. And that is what we do. And high adjudicator differentiates us from the other adjudicators who have lost their way. Now, if you will give us the sword, we will live in peace. I think I said live in peace. I meant leave in peace. <laughs> yeah, I don't You'll... think either one is going to happen. Live or leave in peace. You didn't come in peace. You cannot leave in peace. There will be judgment and restitution for your deeds. One of the things I did want to do that I didn't get a chance to do was I was going to try to 
roughly take Ebby, who is disguised as a bailiff, and say, as a show of goodwill, you can have this one back. And hopefully give Ebby a chance to move into a more advantageous position before a fight happens. There will be judgment. That is true. We are going to roll initiative. All right. Well, Nari rolled a two, so that's her initiative. Is a Well, it's a three, but the rolls are not fueling me. <sighs> Pine rolled a natural one for a five. Oh, my gosh, you guys. <laughs> Ebby got a 12, and then Amarok got a 16. Roos got a 16 for initiative. Okay, Crumbles rolled a 19. Nice. Good job, Crumbles. So do they worship Aramiel, or...? No, they, she said they don't anymore. Yeah, they used to. They're like, no, he failed them, and now they they are... Their calling comes from the divine... And she's apparently the the most high of the high, so I think we get rid of these people and we take care of the issue. She realized that she's the most high authority in the world. Well, she's definitely high, that's true. (laughs) She realized that her ability to make judgments is basically perfect, that her judgment is perfect, and that must mean that she got that authority from some divine source. And therefore, it is her responsibility to enforce her judgment on everybody. She is kind of a babe, though, to be fair. (laughs) She is cute. Why does this sound like every global leader? Every global leader isn't a babe, though. (laughs) No, but this one is cute. She's got her little spectacles on. She's wearing like a blue robe. She's got long hair. She's got her book in her hand. Um, she, She looks like you would see her in the Library of Cadriel except for you're seeing her here, uh, standing in the courtyard, and she also has a sword at her waist. Dari's blushing a little bit. She's a little bit embarrassed in front of Kira, but she's still going to kill this person if she can, but she's a little embarrassed in front of Kira. Let's see if she still looks cute when she gets charged by an angry Aelaton. Well, here is what is going to happen. We are going to start combat. Now, um... The bailiffs, they scatter around as they come to rush into the uh, to the center of this courtyard um, as Brinby uh, and Briok and Hebo rush out with the constables and the palace guards, the castle guards, and they start fighting with the bailiffs. So here's the deal. As far as the bailiffs are concerned, you're not going to have to worry about the bailiffs unless things go very terribly. You have two adjudicators standing in front of you, and it is Crumble's turn. Crumbles is going to come hopefully blindside her by doing a full-on charge right into Kippen and going to make a horn attack. All right. Let's see what you got. That's a 25 to hit. That will hit. Okay. So uh, damage is only six. Okay. I rolled two ones on 2d6 plus four. But since, since Crumbles moved more than 20 feet, uh, toward the uh, Kippen, she has to make a DC 14 strength saving throw or be knocked prone. Oh, she rolled a natural 19, which means she got a 19 to her strength saving throw. She is not knocked down. Well, that is uh, Crumbles' turn then. Crumbles is right there on top of her. All right, uh, Crumbles is right there on top of her, and she was not expecting that. And so instead, what she does is she will make two attacks 
she was going to, well, she, she pulls out her sword. Um, she's got this elegant looking long sword and she is going to slash at Crumbles with a 17 to hit. Most definitely hits. His AC is only 11. Okay, well, she is going to deal 11 slashing damage and 10 force damage. Holy cow. And Crumbles is gone. And then she turns to you, Nari, and she is going to... Oh, she's got she's got another attack. Nari loosens her axe and just kind of like fluffs her shirt and says, come at me, dude. Okay, she's coming at you. She is going to swing at you now uh, with a natural 20. Holy crap, this is going to be bad. Oh, geez. Why are you going to do this? She crit on you. All right. That is going to be six plus four. So that is going to be 10 slashing damage. The force damage is going to be, holy crap, 40 force damage. Jesus. Her sword deals D8 plus four, and then she deals an extra four D8 force damage when she hits. I am going to regain my strength with my stone's endurance and take 10 off of that. Okay. So what does that end up being total damage? So it was uh, 10 plus, it was 50 damage total. Nice. Okay, so 40 damage is what I will take. Yikes, that's what a crit does when you're rolling, when you're rolling 5d8. All right. And you guys haven't seen what Trippin can do yet. All right, that's gonna bring us now to uh, Roos. All right, Roos is gonna point to the side of Pippin, have Squire appear as a distracting aid. Yeah, okay, let me let me re-explain for our listeners. Kippen is the cute, um, long-haired, glasses-wearing, blue-robed, book-holding adjudicator, the one who has been speaking, whose voice is much cuter than mine right now. And Trippin is the heavily armored, um, face-obscured, fur trim, cloak, spikes on shoulder pads, great sword wielding adjudicator who you don't even know, male or female or or anything about this figure. Uh, Squire appears right next to her and um, that will give me advantage on my attacks. The first one was a 27 to hit and the second one was a 20 to hit. 27 will definitely hit. For six piercing, three necrotic, 13 sneak for 22 total. Okay. And that will be my turn. All right. Ebby, it is your turn. Uh, actually, this is Amarok's turn. Perfect. Amarok is just going to move forward and give Nari the help action. Okay. That brings us now to Adjudicator Trippin. Trippin is a different beast than Kippin. Trippin draws the greatsword and rushes up towards, the closest target is actually going to be um, Squire. And so the first attack is coming at Squire disguised as Roos. A 20 will hit Roos, correct? Yeah, a 20 will hit. Okay, so that first attack is wasted. 
Trippin realizes that that's a false, uh, a false Roos and is going to come over now and rush at you, Roos. And okay. does a, oh my gosh, a 10 hit you. A 10 does not hit me. Okay. Um, Trippin lashes out with, uh, with their sword and misses you and then instantly, poof, is gone and reappears 30 feet away over by the barracks. And it is Ebby's turn. First thing that we're going to do is we'll call in our magical unicorn totem and we will drop that right here, kind of next to Amarok and everybody. So it kind of covers the battlefield. And then you see this fanciful, magical, um, glittery um, kind of uh, what's the like the fuzzy lighting uh, unicorn as it throws its mane and does a, uh, a slow motion horse bath. Majestic horse bath with Vaseline on the camera lens. Nay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Exactly. And I think, uh, I mean, this could be the wrong move, but I think we're going to mix it up a little bit. And instead of Phobos and Demos, we're calling in Handsome Squidward. Damn. Oh, man. <laughs> handsome Squidward. Where is where is Lord La- Lord Radriel's envoy going to appear? I think I'm going to have him appear kind of over here lounging next to the well the rules are that he he takes a separate turn his it's immediately after my turn okay and i can summon him as a fey like he's either fuming mirthful or tricksy fuming means he gets advantaged on one of his attack rolls mirthful is the charming and tricksy is the cube of darkness i guess one question i don't know if you're if if you have any thoughts on this, if he were to cast darkness in a five foot cube and like drop it right on one of these individuals, would that darkness like impose disadvantage on them trying to make attacks out of that darkness? Yes, but it would also impose a disadvantage trying to attack them in the darkness. Well, that's a bummer. Let's just have him be the mirthful, true Lord Radriel that he was last time and see if we can <laughs> do some charming. Fantastic. He's just a cool guy. I just want to hang out with them. <laughs> so he shows up and he's like, <clears throat> now, now, there's no need for combat here. Ooh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, I missed you so much. All right. Well, it is now his turn. Cool. Um, oh, one last thing Ebby's going to do is he's going to kind of move up here, just right in this area near Amarok, so he can stay close to the familiar, so he can get the shared resistance stuff. Oh, nice. Okay. Just in case. But I think, okay, what we'll do is with with uh, Lord Radriel's servant here or emissary, let's start off with the bonus action and try to see if he can do the charm on Kippen. Okay. Kippen needs to make what? A wisdom save? Yeah. So it would be a against a my spell save DC. So a 16 spell save DC. I just rolled another natural 20. Oh, geez. Yeah, no. So with the natural 20, uh, Kippen is going to be immune to Lord Radriel's charms. Okay, that makes sense. And he's going to then say, oh, not one to party with me, I see. Oh, so be it. And he's going to run back over here and go ahead and have an attack at her. Okay. Jesus, I had an old man say that to me in a bar once. (laughs) Oh, Oh, my God. (laughs) Jeez. Oh my gosh, he rolled a one for his attack, so he got a, a 10 to hit. No! Okay, that's going to miss. 
Okay, well that's that is it for him. He's got a plus nine to hit. Holy yeah, it's cow. my it's my spell attack is his to hit attack. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. And then he does some force damage actually with his hit, so it's normal plus the bonuses plus force damage. So it's actually pretty great. Wow. Okay. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, Pine, it is your turn. Well, then what Pine is going to do is he's going to see kind of we're all focused on Kippen and I saw how hard she hit uh, Nari. So I'm going to come kind of fill in and try to attack her as well. Um, As I approach, I will say... You're going to say, heck, don't be a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Uh, I will say, the craven fall and are consumed, sword of infernos. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and make my first attack against uh, against her. Okay. That's a 22 to hit. Yes, that will hit. Yes. Okay. Uh, so that's eight slashing damage plus two fire damage. She is on fire. Yes. Yes, she's on fire. So she'll need to make uh, constitution saving throws on her turn. Otherwise, she'll take additional damage. And then I'm going to say, unleash with precision, Swordmaster's Fury, and deal an extra couple D8s. In fact, I'm going to deal an extra three D8, because I'll do a second level. Okay. That's another 20 damage. Oh my gosh. She's still standing. So that's the first attack. Second attack is only a... It's a 19. I rolled a 9, and I'm going to add 10 to it. Okay. A 19. As a reaction, she uses telekinetic deflection. In response to being hit by an attack roll, she actually increases her AC by four against the attack. If this causes the attack to miss, the attacker is hit by the attack instead. So roll some damage. Well, how did she get cool abilities? Um, I took my, I gave myself 13 damage. 13 damage to Pine. Boom. Okay. Uh, and Pine's be like, what the hell? And uh, that'll be Pine's turn. Okay. I probably should have waited to see if you were going to do some Swordmaster's Fury again and then said, oh, by the way, that all happened to you. But anyway, uh, Nari, it is your turn. Nari is so ready to take the axe of the adjudicator to this person. And so she is going to roll a 24 to hit. You have advantage, too, because of Amarok. Nice. Yeah, that's a 19. No, that was 19. It's not a crit, though. That doesn't crit anymore. Oh, bummer. Uh, six damage. So it was 24 to hit for six damage. Now, um, you do get to reroll that damage because you rolled a one on your damage. You are nice. a great weapon master. So reroll that damage. So the damage is actually 17. I got to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and then she's going to roll again for 14 to hit. Does that hit? That does not hit. Okay. So I am going to use my second wind to just really go after this uh, person because I, I don't trust this person. Oh, at you all. mean your action, your action surge? Yes. Uh, so an 18 to hit. That will hit. Nice. Uh, 13 damage. And then I'm going to go again. Actually, you slice down with this third attack and you bring her down. <laughs> Is she dead or is she unconscious? Um, That depends on what Nari wants to do. Did you kill her or did you knock her unconscious? Honestly, I killed her. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Just straight up. I'm just going to be real with y'all. Like, I I killed her. So she's making death saves. 
We'll do that. She's making death saves at this point. Okay. All right, with your action surge, you have one more attack and you have your movement. Yeah, I will definitely move towards Trippin. Okay. I don't, I don't think I can fully make it there. Can I just say that I'm imagining right now Nari just being like, what the? And just beat this woman to death and is now stomping over to this other guy like, you sons of coming up in here trying to kill me. Oh, man. I'm a little bit pissed because she's so cute. Like, I didn't want to kill her. Like, I tried. <laughs> I really tried. But yeah, no, I will definitely, like, make my way over towards Trippin. Well, that brings us now back to the top of the round. And that brings us to Kippen. And let's see what um, her death save is. She made a death save, and uh, we'll tell you the results later. Okay, uh, Roos, that is you. Roos is going to kneel down over her and thrust the sword into her chest and say, the light has judged you to be false. <laughs> LOL, get wrecked, bitch. That is two failed death saves. She has one death save to go. And that will be my turn. All right. Amarok's turn. Is, is Amarok going to continue to give the help action to somebody? Yes. I think actually Amarok is going to... Amarok's going to hang out, is going to go by Pine and move with Pine on, if, if possible, and give him the help action when it's his turn. Okay. That brings us now to Trippin. Trippin sees Kippen go down and you hear this, this scream and it's just, and then Trippin rushes you, Nari, and you are getting two attacks at you with a great sword. The first one is going to be a, an eight (laughs) or how about, um, uh, how about a 12? I'm guessing neither one of those will hit. (laughs) Nari is not going to take his shit today. <laughs> and then um, immediately after swinging at you, we'll uh, teleport 30 feet away up onto the, um, up by the steps to the uh, tower keep and is out of reach. Look, they're teleporting. Get them. Ebby, it's your turn. Ebby is going to, well, that's a concentration spell. Never mind. Only being able to concentrate on one spell is just a bummer sometimes, but it makes sense. It's reasonable. I think what we're going to do is we will do a bonus action, Erdos's word on Nari. We will use a level two spell slot for that and heal Nari for nine points of healing. And then everybody gets uh, an additional five points of healing in the circle which I guess it's just Roos and Nari that have taken damage at this point, right? I no, appreciate Pine, it. Pine hurt himself. Yeah, Pine too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and Kippen, you can give Kippen five hit points too. <laughs> I won't. Okay. Okay. Yes. And then uh, for my action, so that was my bonus action. For my action, I'm going to go ahead and try and do a mana cannon at Trippin. Okay. The first attack there is a, a 12 to hit. That's probably not going to do it. That will miss. And then the second one is a 14 to hit. That will also miss. Trippin looks like uh, they're wearing a uh, plate. Got it. So, And it looks very well made plate armor, too. Now with Lord Radriel. Oh, yeah. 
he's going to go ahead and do his face step thing. So what he'll do first is he's going to move um, a few feet and then he's going to do the face step to Misty step 30 feet towards Trippin. And he's going to also try to charm him with that ability. So he warps over there and he's like, slow down, friend. We're not done yet. And he'll need to make a, a 16 spell save. Trippin rolled a natural 19. Got it. With that being the case, uh, Lord Radriel will go ahead and make some attacks. Okay. Uh, 22 to hit. That'll hit. All right. And he does for damage 1d6 plus 6 is what that should be. So I think that's 9 piercing. Okay. And then plus 1d6 force, 5 force damage. So 9 piercing, 5 force for a total of 14. 14. Okay. And that's it. All right. Pine, it's your turn. You are... Um, quite far away from Trippin at this point. Uh, Trippin is probably about 45 or 50 feet away from you. Over by the Tower Keep, you are on the other side of the well from him or her. What are you going to do? Pine is going to look disgusted at Roos and say, Did my opinion matter so little to you? And he's going to actually attempt to do a medicine check on Kippen to stabilize her. Okay. And it's an 18 but I don't know if I should roll with disadvantage since there's still a sword stuck in there. No, actually, you managed to stabilize her. I mean, in all honesty, if you're actually stabilizing somebody, um, leave the sword in. Oh, that's true. Don't pull it out until you get to a hospital. Also, if you ever want to drown a body, cut them open and put rocks inside. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> These are just things that everyone should know. Adventuring 101. <laughs> These are the things you learn from this podcast. If you ever get stabbed, leave it in. Don't pull it out. Go to the hospital. Let the doctors pull it out. Okay, yeah, you've managed to stabilize Kippen. Okay, and then with my bonus action, I'm going to chuck Kenig's S-talk over at Trippin. It's 60 feet, so I, it can reach. It can reach, yes, for sure. Okay, and then Kenig's S-talks, uh, I'll say, Field Marshal, sir, I ask your aid. And it's a 16 to hit, so that'll miss. That will miss. And Nari, it's your turn. All right, Nari is going to run over towards Trippin, which I, I think I can kind of make. You can make it, yep. And then she's going to hit with her axe for a 17 to hit. That's a miss. Okay, and then a 22 to hit. That will hit. So she is going to hit for 12 damage, and then she's also going to use her Axe of the Adjudicator, and she's just going to whip that out. So uh, they're going to have to make a DC 13. Uh, rolled a 15, so Trippin saves. Is that it for your turn? Yeah. Okay. We now have Kippen's turn. Kippen has now stabilized, which means we're no longer rolling death saves, which means I'm not going to roll a natural 20 and have her pop back up. It means that she is now stable and out of the fight. Okay, Roos, it is your turn. Roos will stand up and leave the sword in her and say, Mr. Pine, I, the heat of the battle, I just, I kind of lose it sometimes. And I passed my uh, wisdom save to not continue fighting. Okay, so you still have one more sword. I'll, I'll start moving in that direction. Okay. Pine will say, throw your frisbee or is that not a thing anymore? It's called disc golf. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing, but it's complicated. As you say, it's complicated. You can see your duplicate actually like holding it in its hand and then kind of sadly put it away back behind its back. <laughs> He's like, oh, 
It's like a happy puppy. Like, you're going to play with me? Yeah. You're going to throw my frisbee? <laughs> I can get up to here with move and then bonus action move. Yeah. For, yeah, yeah. And so that'll be my turn. Okay. You are close to tripping. It is now Amarok's turn. I think Amarok is... How far is that distance? Let me see here. It'd be too far for him to get there. So I think Amarok is just going to kind of hang out near me and just see if we can help anybody else if we if possible. Very good. That brings us now back to Trippin's turn. We've got Lord Radriel and we've got Nari. Nari is definitely the bigger threat in Trippin's mind. So Trippin is going to attack at Nari two times. We have got two hits. Yikes. Um, that's my third natural 20 of, oh, this, of this battle. So we have um, a 25 and then we have a natural 20. So we'll roll the 25 first. Nari, you are going to take, this is a, a great sword. So we have, first off, you have 10 slashing damage followed by 23 force damage. So that's a total of 33 damage right there. Man, that was rude. And that's the regular hit. Tech. The critical hit is going to be 16 slashing damage. All right, I'm I'm out. 48 force damage. Oof. Homeboy hits like a dump truck. Yeah, no, that I'm I'm out. I'm I'm. I'm not feeling good. Okay, were you out after the first hit or were you out after the after the second hit? Second hit, yeah. Okay. You did not get any death saves then. Trippin is going to then, as a bonus action, Trippin looks around at the courtyard. Um, I didn't explain this very well, but as you guys are fighting here, you guys are getting so wrapped up in this battle, you can see that the bailiffs, yes, they are more powerful than the guards, but there are a lot more guards, and they also have Brinby and Briok and Hebo, and Trippin sees that the bailiffs are being overpowered, and Trippin disappears. We are not necessarily out of initiative. Ebby. What are you going to do? Oof. Gosh, I wish there was some way that I could track this guy. Okay, I said disappeared. What this figure, what, what Adjudicator Trippin did, did not look any different than when um, they had teleported before. You just didn't immediately see where they teleported to, or they may have turned invisible. It's hard to say. I was just about to say, I think I know exactly what I'm going to do. Actually, I do have the ability to do detect magic. So I think first things first, I'm going to move a little bit this way. Closer to the uh, to the tower keep. Yeah, it would take. Okay, never mind. I'm not going to worry about. Yeah, okay. here's what I'll do. I can do as a bonus action. I can use my verdant light. Um, ability to heal to use a 1d6 die to heal somebody so I'm going to do that on Nari okay and Nari you get healed for 3 man I'm feeling so good (laughs) super good (laughs) and then I'm going to go ahead and um, cast detect magic to see if Um, we can detect anything. So it says for the duration, you sense the presence of magic within 30 feet of you. If you sense magic in this way, you can use your action to see a faint aura 
around any visible creature or object in the area that bears magic if you learn its school of magic and you learn its school of magic of any. The spell can penetrate most barriers, but it is blocked by one foot of stone, one inch of common metal, a thin sheet of lead, or three feet of wood or dirt. All right, so you cast Detect Magic, and um, besides what you and your companions are are wielding, um, within 30 feet of you, um, barely on the edge of that, um, you can see Kippen's body now stabilized. You see that the sword sticking out of her is definitely magic. You see that the um, the breastplate that she is wearing is also magic, and you can see that her spectacles are magic. After you see um, Kippen's body with her magical items, standing on the roof of the Tower Keep, you see Trippin has teleported to the roof of the Tower Keep, barely in range. Can I just yell that out to the group and just say, he's on the roof? Yeah, sure thing. Okay, cool, we'll do that. Okay, perfect. Pine, your turn. I think it would actually be Lord Radriel if if that's still possible. Can, can he can he misty step up to the roof as well? Is that too far for him? No, I think that's that's right at the edge of of his movement. Okay, I think he's gonna misty step up there, which. <laughs> so, so stay with me on this. That that triggers the so when they do the face step. They, you know, misty step and then they trigger their magical effect. And so okay. he's now he's going to try and charm this lady next to Kira. <laughs> charm Beatrice, the butler, <laughs> whoever she is. Yes. OK, uh, for no reason in particular, except that this guy is an agent of chaos and he will just charm everybody as he goes. Oh, my gosh. OK, uh, so she needs to make a wisdom save. And yeah, gosh, she rolled a she rolled a 16. Does that pass? That would just pass. <laughs> oh, man. Lord Radriel's having a hard time. He's just he's just swinging and missing this. This. Uh... Yeah. Pine will yell over there. He's like, hey, they offer. She's my work wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Radriel will go ahead and, have, and make an attack uh, 16 to hit. And that will miss. That yep. will miss. OK, that's it. Pine, you're up. OK, so um, looking up to the roof, uh, can I see Trippin as well? Uh, yes, you can. Yeah, yeah. Trippin's not um, invisible. Just Trippin teleported. OK, so Pine will get close, as close as he can, with his 35 feet of movement. And uh, let's see, is it within 20 feet of, and I, I guess, uh, can a spiritual weapon fly? Uh, I'm going to say it's 30 feet up. OK, well, the spiritual weapon will will begin climbing toward Trippin. It can only go okay. 20 feet. OK. And then what what uh, Pine is going to do is he's going to yell out, give up, you've lost. And that is going to be a paralyzing shout. It's a DC 15 wisdom saving throw or Trippin becomes paralyzed, hopefully falling from the roof. So Trippin rolled a natural 18. Ooh. So these guys have been making really good rolls. Um, your moves have been great. Um, but just so you know, with an 18, that is still a wisdom save. That is a 25. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. Well, there we go. That's uh, that's Pine's bonus action and action and movement. All right. Nari, your eyes flutter open as you are laying on the ground. Nari, what are you going to do? Uh, the first thing Nari is going to do is to take one of those potions of healing that she got from Porthos and uh, get 15 points of HP. 
I mean, honestly, at this point, if uh, if the enemy's on the roof, I think honestly, Nari might kind of move back towards Kippen. Okay. And and kind of just make sure that they're not uh, causing any problems. Okay. All right. Well, that now brings us to Kippen's turn and then pass Kippen to Roos. Roos, you are there at the kind of the base of the steps going up into the tower keep. So I'm going to follow with Nari and I'm going to move and then bonus action move to get uh, the rest of the way. And I'm going to pick up her sword. Okay. Point it towards and just say, does this mean that there's another adjudicator you can't appoint? Ooh, okay. Get ripped. All right. Okay, let's see. Amarok's turn. What is Amarok going to do? Amarok's going to do kind of the dash action and see if she if he can fly all the way up there. What's 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 his movement? It's like 40 flying movement. Yeah, I, you, you can get there then. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to take the dash. So I think that's probably it for him. All right. It is now Trippin's turn. Let me do some measurements. Okay, we have got bonus action. Trippin does a blink step. Bloop. Instantly, 60 feet away, standing on the opposite side of Roos from Nari. Um, Roos, make a quick uh, a quick check, uh, perception check. Okay, ugh, uh, 13. You know that Trippin has been hit. It does not look like Trippin is as damaged as they should be. Trippin is going to swing at you two times. Uh, an 18 and a 22. Those will both hit. Okay. Great sword comes slashing at you. We have got uh, 12 slashing plus uh, 17 force for a total of 29. Ow. <laughs> I'm gonna have uh, I'm gonna have Squire cut that in half, and the other one that hits you is going to be uh, that is uh, 13 slashing and 13 force for a total of 26. Is Roos still standing? I am indeed still standing. I am Oof. very very hurt, but I'm still standing. And then with. A one of one of Trippin's uh, special skills. Um, after Trippin makes an attack, whether they hit or not, they can teleport thirty feet away and poof, thirty feet away, over by the gatehouse. And um, that is going to bring us now to Ebby. All right, um, Gorsh, Mickey. I mean, this could be a total waste, but we're going to try it. Ebby is going to try to cast Hold Person on Trippin. It's a DC 16 wisdom save. I know the guy's got like a plus seven on wisdom, so. Yes, they do. Here we go. Ready, set, go. Well, 18, that's a 25 again. You're rolling so high. Stop rolling so high. That's amazing. Your, uh, your wisdom saves have been on fire. Yes, they have. Yes, they have. Um, I expected Kippen to last a little bit longer than uh, she did. Um, she had some really cool powers, but Trippin, I knew, was going to be the uh, the kite. Um, okay, what else is Ebby going to do? I will also do a bonus action Verdant Light on Roos and heal him for three hit points. Thank you. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm in double digits now. All right. Oh, you were close. Okay. And then that's uh, Lord Radriel's companion or uh, Lord Radriel's uh, envoy? Emissary. Emissary. Lord Radriel's emissary. So he will do he'll do his face step to get down off the roof. Okay. Um, and try to <laughs> charm Kira. Okay. <laughs> her wisdom save is a natural 20. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Good for her. Jeez. She's not going to be fooled by some squid. That's right. Her heart belongs to somebody else. And then he's he's going to... It's like, nobody loves me today. And he's going to run up here by Roos. Okay. All right. Uh, Pine, it's your turn. Well, okay. Uh, Ken Exestok is going to move 20 feet kind of toward the center of this courtyard. Just okay. so that it can hopefully be close enough to, to move and hit something next time. Okay. And then Pine is going to go ahead and use uh, all of his movement uh, to get uh, as close as he can to um, Trippin. And then he's going to throw some knives. Nice. First one is a nine. Second one is a nine. That's the third nine I've rolled for attack rolls, and I've only rolled like five attack rolls. So, <laughs> oh, I knew Trippin was going to be a very frustrating appoint- opponent. Um, but Nari, that brings us to you. All right, Nari is going to run over towards Strippin and she is going to attack with her axe. Okay. And the first throw is a 26 to hit. That will hit. For 14 damage. Okay. Um, and then she is going to hit again with the axe of the adjudicator uh, for an 18 to hit. That barely hits. So that's a 14 damage, and then I am also going to use the Axe of the Adjudicator, which requires a DC 13 save. Another 18. Oh my gosh, that's another 25. Wow. (laughs) So either our virtual tabletop is broken, um, or uh, that's just how the dice are rolling. Paul only rolls 18s, I only roll (laughs) 9s. I am twice as great as you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, bro. You're my favorite person in the world, besides my kids and my wife. <laughs> okay, uh, that is all for now. We are back up to the top of the round. We have Roos. It is your turn, followed by Amarok, followed by Trippin. Okay, Roos is going to run up, and he's going to motion for Squire to follow him. Okay. And then I'm going to take an attack with the other saber, the one that I'm still holding. Okay, so not the longsword that you picked up. Yeah, not the longsword that I picked up. And I get advantage because of uh, Laramie with me, but I rolled two threes. Oh, jeez. Where did the longsword go? Oh, I'm still holding the other longsword. Okay. That is two misses. Yep. Okay. Amarok, what is Amarok going to do? Amarok is grumbling loudly and is going to fly back down into the middle of the courtyard. Okay. This is ridiculous. I can't believe these mortals zipping around all over the place. Why did magic even be allowed to exist? Here is what's going to happen. Trippin. Trippin knows which of the Roos uh, bodies is real. Yeah. Take a five foot step to be right between uh, Nari and Roos. And now, Roos, as you already noticed this earlier, you actually see some of the wounds that um, Trippin has taken 
actually close up. Um, and Trippin has healed at the beginning of their turn. Trippin is going to take one attack against Roos and one attack against Nari. So let's start with the attack against Roos. Oh, man. That is a 13. That will miss. The attack against Nari. <sighs> Gosh, that is an 11 and that will not do it. Um, following the attack, 30 foot movement, and then as a bonus action, disappears again. And now that you know their strategy, you can see that they are up on the roof now of the Great Hall. And this fight with this flighty kite, I, kite's the right term, right? That's what you did, like you were, you'd kite bad guys in, in like World of Warcraft stuff? Yeah. yeah. This fight is gonna have to wait for another day because we are gonna stop right there for tonight. We are in the middle of this fight. Kippen is down. You took her out pretty quickly. She didn't even get to use her implosion attack, um, but Trippin is still there. And now, Roos, Trippin has two targets. Roos, who bears Kippen's sword, and Nari, who has Adjudicator Rolf's sword. That will have to wait till next time because we're going to call it. But I hope everybody had a good time tonight. This was uh, a fun fight. There's definitely some damage to be dealt. More of it on my side, it seemed, than on your guys' side, at least with Trippin. Uh, but until we get together next time, I hope you have a great time.